Hey guys, Brendan from the future. A couple quick things. My internet decided to go out in my whole area. Uh, we actually got an email about it afterwards. So I'm going to do my best to edit this quickly and make it still sound good. So if it doesn't sound the greatest, I apologize. I just want to get this out here so this content's relevant for you. Also, uh, I have been a little under the weather. Uh, was sick at the end of last week and I'm starting to feel better, but if I don't sound 100%, that's why. I guys, hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget, you can email us at uh, tofapodcast at gmail.com. And since this show has been recorded, I have set us up an e or a Twitter account. And that's at tofapodcast on Twitter. Check us out. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. This is the Ornithopter Flight Academy. I'm your host, Brendan, as always, joined by Josh. Josh, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Not too bad. It has been an action-packed week since last time we talked in the world of magic. Um, but before we get all on that, what have you been doing in magic? Have you done any more cubes? Are you still playing Commander? What you been I up to? I tried one of the uh, the new Magic 30 cubes. Uh, it wasn't too bad. Uh, not sure I'm that into this cube. It's interesting, but it's not as powered as I'm used to. Yeah, we had a lot of vintage cube this year, and I feel like it spoiled us. And whenever I draft a bunch of fair decks, I feel really sad. That's yeah, I, I ended up playing uh, mid-range and walkers. And Nothing too fancy. Yeah, I did one. Um, it was fine. I think there's a lot of cool stuff there. And if I wanted to dedicate more of my magic time to it, and I had more free time for it, I'd probably play more. But as of right now, it's probably just a one and done for me. So, yeah. Well, uh, it's for me, I uh, see played a little bit of Legacy. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I love the Painter-Servant combo deck in Legacy. I was messing around with Minskinbu in that deck. actually got my first 5-0 in a Legacy League ever. Um, and it's probably not even that great of a version of a deck. I know I'm not the only person that tr has tried it. It's fine. Um, I just don't know if it's the best thing that deck can be doing. It definitely needs more testing. Um, and... Mostly, I spent most of my free time this weekend trying to keep up with the Magic World Championship that happened. Uh, did you get to uh, check out many of the highlights? I knew you were working most of the weekend at the card store. I watched uh, all the highlights from the standard section. I didn't watch much of the Explorer. Okay. Um, I watched a decent bit. I didn't watch too much of the Limited. If you don't get to watch the people pick their draft picks and talk about it, why I don't enjoy watching Limited that much. Just random limited gameplay. It's kind of whatever to me. Um, I do respect that that's a part of the game and the world champion should definitely, that should be part uh, to determine it. Um, the weekend was good. Uh, I'm going to get out of the way the stuff I didn't like about the world championship. Um, first off, it was on Arena. And I think the world championship should be determined by paper play. Uh, there's triggers and things like that. 
there's something when you'd be watching the video and even the commentators would say, look at his face, you know, people roll their eyes, <clears throat> stuff like that. And you can't get away with that in paper play. You kind of have to keep that poker face on. And uh, usually I'm not too nitpicky about that kind of thing, but if you're going to be the world champion, uh, you should be the, the world champion and in paper. Uh, that's just my opinion. You know, uh, that being said, I was kind of, <clears throat> I didn't know if I liked the fact that Explore was one of the highlighted formats. Uh, Josh, you don't play an arena. Do you understand what Explorer is? Yeah, I know what it is. Okay. It's uh, basically for, Pioneer for Arena. Right. With the plan of it becoming Pioneer. Right. They plan on it eventually not being a format anymore, um, which is different. And I didn't know how I'd feel, but I've watched a decent amount of Pioneer. I don't play a whole lot. But like watching the Pi or the Explorer matches was actually really enjoyable. It was really good gameplay, and I enjoyed it way more than I thought it would. So um, I will bite my tongue on that. That, that was actually really good. Um, I was impressed with that. Uh, the coverage wasn't awful but wasn't great. There's no individual person on the coverage team that I thought was bad. I just, um, if you watch the NASCAR race on Sunday, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is commentating on it. If you're watching a football game for Monday Night Football or whatever, Tony Romo's there talking about it through the perception of the player or the driver or whatever, for whatever said sport. It's almost universally like that. Now, they do have Cedric Phillips. Cedric Phillips did used to be an SEG grinder. He's a very good Magic player. But he didn't do a lot of the kind of quote-unquote play-by-play uh, coverage. He did a lot more of the one-on-one -on -one interviews. And he's fantastic. They should give him more screen time. He is great at what he does. There's a reason when Star City Games was kind of at its peak. Um, he did that there. The guy's very good. Um and everyone else was okay, but if I'm a, a quote-unquote casual viewer at home, I want to hear the professional's perspective. I want, And there was plenty of pros, you know, especially for the boomer generation. You know, um, I watched the first day through Yellowhat's stream, and he's a Hall of Famer, and got to listen to his opinions and everything. And he's very insightful and he plays all these formats still. And there's a lot of people that could get in there to do that. And they haven't. And I hope that changes. Those are my two biggest complaints. Um, there was some small technical stuff at one point in time, they put the wrong shielder on the screen and the little oh, box, yeah. the highlighted cards, <laughs> um, you know, and Someone just misclicked on something. I'm not going to harp that much. Innocent mistakes like that happen. It's funny to laugh at. I'm not going to drag them over the coals. Um, well, we're not going to spend time talking about which shield would have been better there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, if you could choose one to play on turn four... Yeah, 6-6 six, six that brings your guys back. That seemed good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, day one kind of start off with a bang. Um and all those old boomers kind of got put on notice about some players. Uh, Team Handshake, which had Julian Wellman, who started out day one undefeated. I'm trying to think if he... I don't know if he lost a game or a round 
uh, day one, which was draft and uh, it was draft and then uh, yeah, standard. Um, And if at the end of day one, you would have asked anyone who the world championship was, who champion is going to be, everyone would have said Julian Wilman. The kid was on a tear. Um, uh, Pablo Victor Dovarosa even tweeted the team handshake, who was the testing team for this had a record of 17 and four in draft, except when playing against each other, which is crazy. Uh, these kids are good. They're real good. Uh, they did a lot of testing. They did all the right things. Um, and the results showed for it. And one of them moved on to become the world champion. Uh, kind of for me, the storyline for day two was Julian Wellman, um, so for those of you that don't know, before I get too much into it, day one, they did a draft and then three rounds. They did standard, uh, which was six rounds, five, yes. uh, five oh. rounds, five rounds, five rounds of standard. And then the next day they did explore. And then it was a cut to top four, which was standard. Um, and Julian Wellman ended the day seven and one. And Nathan Stoyer ended the day 7-1. Spoiler alert, Nathan Stoyer ends up becoming the world champion. Um, I'll get more to him in a minute. Uh, Day two, Julian went from being tied for the second best record to not making top four. And I watched some of his games. He seemed to play well. Uh, In standard, he was playing a very cool kind of mono blue splash red for Fable the Mirror Breaker deck. Um, and a couple other cards and kind of this tempo-ish deck that's been going around. And I think if he makes top four, I think he wins because he that deck really, really punished the uh, um, mid-range decks that are very popular and standard, right? Had a very, very good matchup against all those. So he they played the Transmognify Explorer deck. Um, which is a polymorph-style deck in various different ways. It was Teamer. And for that one, he just pl- he played that deck, which is the whole, what the whole team played for the most part. And you've tested for big events before. You've played in some rather large tournaments. Sensibly, like, yeah. Um, and in tournaments like this, where there's three formats you have to prepare for, I feel like Julian Wellman prepared for two of them extremely well and don't get me wrong the kid's an amazing player way better than i am um he just missed a step maybe didn't test quite as much as an explorer and i think it ended up costing him making top four. Oh, absolutely and when you test it's it's in a team setting almost always so it's possible that his team just uh let that one slide a little bit um that's what a lot of his team played um uh, there was four of them um, in the Explore metagame playing that. Abzan Greasefang was the most common uh, deck. I'm not going to get super into these decks. Uh, at Magic.gg has a breakdown of each day. Um, so ga- day two, going into the last round, there was a couple uh, interesting matchups. So uh, Jacob Batoth 
who handshake team. Uh, he also made uh, top four. So he's and when you make top four at Worlds, you're qualified for all the pro tours for the next year. Um, he also got engaged earlier that week. Shout out to him. Dude's having the week of his life. And he's in Vegas. I'm just living it up. Super happy for him. So he played the uh, former world champion, uh, last year's world champion, whose name I am, uh, or was it him? Was it him or Carl Srop? One of them played the world champion to get in, and a couple people made it in. Nathan Stoyer lost his last round and made it in on tiebreakers. So it was very exciting to the end. So moving on to day three, uh, you had uh, Eli uh, Cassis, as I do believe how you say his last name, from the U.S. You have Carl Serap, you have Jacob Toth, and you have Nathan Stoyer. Um, the last day was standard. Nathan Stoyer was the only person that was not playing the Esper mid-range deck with Rafine and all that stuff that's super common. Um, to give you a short synopsis, he lost twice already to Eli Cassis. He plays him in the first round, and it's double elimination um, for the top four. So he plays against him in the first round of the top four, loses to him. Uh, then Eli wins his next round to make it to the finals. Nathan then wins his way back through the field, gets to uh, the top, plays Eli again, and uh, has to beat him twice because it's double elimination to win. I'm pretty sure that's how it worked out. Beats Eli. It was very exciting. Um, and then his post-win interview was phenomenal. He talked about learning from his mistakes, how he tested from it. And Nathan in general, if you don't know a lot about him, uh, he started grinding the SCG circuit to a point and playing a Grand Prix at like 12 years old. Um, he's 20, but he's almost considered a boomer, I think, like you and me. He's been around the block for a minute. The kid's probably a future Hall of Famer. Uh, he's won three out of the last four boxes, which is That's imagine. impressive. Yeah, and he really specializes kind of in these tournaments. Um, so the Mox is the Magic Online Championship Series, I believe is what, what that stands for. Yeah, uh, winning yeah. three out of four of those is incredible. The field size on those is um big it's it's only the best of the best players like winning it once is an achievement winning it three out of four that's nuts yeah um so like the mox the, the mox tournament itself is only eight people it's the qualify you have to get points yeah it's the qualifier right. it's it's all the stuff you have to do to get there um and so i think that's why he went with this grixis mid-range deck in standard he very much understands he's not playing against the whole meta game. He's playing against a sliver of what the best players thinks the best decks are. Um, so yeah, overall, it was a lot of mid range matches against each other. I don't enjoy watching mirror matches, but mid range matches are very interactive. There was exciting top decks. If he draws this here, he can win. Can he do this and come back? Um, there was just a lot to it. It was really good. I enjoyed watching it. Um, and if you get a chance, if you're trying to get better at Magic, just go listen to his interview after he uh, became the world champion. Uh, at first, he was at really at a loss for words, very emotional. He's 20 years old. 
and he comes back with uh, uh, his testing partners learning how they tested for this event um, and everything they they did to get there and a, a high level of professionalism for him um, and kind of it inspired me to start talking about what I want to talk about next. Do you have anything you want to add on Worlds? I know you didn't get to see a whole bunch of it live. Uh, only stop holding it on Arena. Yes, I agree. I give them a pass this year. Maybe they're scared of COVID. I was happy that it was back. The players were next to each other. You could hear people in the background. I have friends that were at Magic 30 that were sending me pictures and stuff. Uh, I am very happy about that. Um, just, you know, maybe some paper cards next just throwing that out there you know so anyways last week the end of the podcast we talked about the eternal weekend coming up uh and you if you play a magic online you have a chance to play on december 10th and 11th um and i decided i was going to start testing for this and going to try to take this a little seriously and see if I can make a decent run. Now, due to my work schedule, because I work on Saturdays, I will have to play at the one that starts in my Eastern time at, uh, what did we figure out? It was 4 a.m.? Something in the morning. I remember you saying you're going to have to get up early. Yeah, it's at 4 a.m. Eastern time. It's right here. Um, and it's going to be vintage, um, which I do really enjoy playing. I've played... I started playing vintage back in July. I went to an RCQ and didn't do so well. I was kind of not having fun in modern, decided to try something different. Um, I'd been watching, watching vintage for a while. Uh, first off, the vintage community is probably one of my favorite communities within magic. The discard su discord, super cool and welcoming. If you ever go play in a challenge and everyone in the chat box is super nice to you. Uh, and, you know, if you're playing on a league and you're like, hey, I'm new to playing this deck, it's going to take me a minute, I'm sorry. Everyone's super nice about it. I've had zero negative interactions, not that many salty people. Um, and, yeah, it is kind of scary. I don't know what I'm going to play. I'm testing some decks. So during the show, part of this is to keep me honest. Um, Josh has kind of always been like my magic coach since I was a wee lad. So we're going to talk about and set goals for things for me to do every week. Um, I am currently 1-0 in a league playing um, Breach Combo. I won't super get into it. Uh, I kind of got lucky, I think, in my first round. So when you're preparing for a tournament like this, um, what do you do? And it's different. And one thing I'd like to mention... You know, one of the big storylines is all these young kids did really well. And prep time, I think, has a lot to do with that. Absolutely. When you got a kid at home, when you have a job and a mortgage payment, all these other responsibilities, you don't have the time to commit. And I'm not trying to take anything from these up-and-comers. Some of them aren't even up-and-comers. You know, these new generation of professional Magic players, they are phenomenal at what they do. They are great. They deserve to be there. But if you were to play test seriously for a tournament, 
How many hours a week would you want to play test, Josh? Hours per week? Uh, I mean, when I was testing for tournaments, it was at least four hours a night, at least. Uh, with usually one day during that week being just a 16, 18-hour grind fest. So 20, 40? <laughs> the, the more hours you put in, the better you're going to do. It's The more hours you put in, the better the the you know the format, the more you know the decks, the more you know the strange interactions. So the important thing when you're playtesting isn't knowing how your deck operates or how another deck is going to operate against you. That's easy. That that You could go read online and find that out in minutes. It's the small things. It's the little edges. Add those up, and it makes a huge difference in your win rate. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I agree with that. And it's obviously I don't have 20 hours a week to dedicate to this. Um, so let's try to set some goals to, for me. It's different too. I think in testing in a uh, compared to standard to legacy or vintage where the metagame so huge, Yep. you know, the almost 30% of the metagame at worlds was Esper. And no, I if you're, if you're playtesting vintage, it's going to be a lot more about the interactions, but it's not necessarily the main ones that you need to focus on. It's the it's the interactions that don't come up that often that you really should be worrying about. For sure. Um, try to put yourself as many situations as you've been impossible, or as you can be as impossible, so that way when you're in them again, um, you kind of know what to expect. Absolutely. So... If I were you, if we were setting a goal for you for this tournament, I would say you should do uh, one league a day if you can. At the very least, do a league every other day and play that same deck. I mean, don't change decks. Pick one deck. You don't have time to really play test more than one deck at this point. That's fair. Um, my girlfriend and my daughter are going down to my in-laws house for the weekend. So I will be a free man and I will do what any free man should do is I'm going to lock myself in my basement and do nothing but play magic online and maybe some yard work, but mostly magic online. Uh, so <laughs> I, I do plan on waking up at 3 AM to play the vintage challenge this week. Uh, plus if you guys don't know, and you do play a magic online. I played in the Vintage Challenge once. I played Doomsday. That deck is very kind of complicated to play. There's a lot to it, and I don't want to think that lines. much. There's a lot of lines, and you have to play around a lot of hate. Uh, there's the reason why some really, really great players like Discover and play that deck all the time to great success. It rewards good gameplay and a lot of repetitions. I just don't feel comfortable, um, especially because... It's really hard to just get lucky in a Doomsday Mirrored win. Uh, the, I feel like that's one of those weird mirror matches where usually the better player wins. I mean, it can happen. You can get lucky and win, but it's not. it doesn't happen as often. So I've picked a deck. I think I'm going to take this week and play a few leagues, kind of figure out what I want to play, and then start next week, like you said, every other day at least, a league um, with one deck until it comes. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a fun time. I'm excited. I didn't really grind the RCQs this year. My daughter was born in June, so I didn't get a chance to do that. And this, the competitive side of Magic is always one of my favorite parts. So this week it is Breach. Next week I'll let you know what else I've played. 
and what deck I decided to play. But back to what I was saying about the challenge. Sorry, got off track there. Uh, I went two and four with Doomsday. I made top 32 because there was only like 40 players, 44 players. And you make your money back plus some chess stuff. It's the same thing with the Saturday Legacy one. Um, that's kind of what inspired it, inspired me to do it. Uh, what is it? Uh, Demonic Tutors. Is that his name? Yeah. Our streamer. Yeah. He talked about it and he's like, you guys should just go play the Legacy one. It's really easy to make top 32 or top 64. And it's pretty much free money and it's good practice. It's um, great practice. So that is going to be my goals going into that. Uh, do you have an inkling to play? You don't work Sundays. You could play in it too. Uh, maybe. I mean, I would be going in rather blind, but maybe. Just watch some YouTube videos. I mean, uh, you have to be close to you. You have a pretty extensive collection. Uh, yeah, you, I, I can I can throw something together. I might need to buy a few cards. The craziest part of this. So first place for Eternal Weekend, you get the big painting of Tabernacle uh, at Penter Vale. Which is beautiful. Um, and then, oh, excuse me, uh, the vintage uh, championship, you'll receive Ancestral Recall. I misread that. Oh, but, wow. That's nice. Uh, yeah, you get a beautiful painting of Ancestral Recall, the only art of it. Uh, it's a one of one promo. Uh, Pink it, the gush promo that there's only going to be 32 of. And it is 20 ticks. Or 200 play points, aka roughly $20, to enter this tournament. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I run good, uh, play good, and get there. And hopefully you guys go along for the journey. But let's be honest, Worlds was cool. Me talking about Eternal Weekends, all right. But you guys are all here for Brothers War. The spoilers. What do you mean, bro? <laughs> Before the show, Josh and I were talking about a bro being on everything. When you uh, look at Reddit or any card, bro dash. Um, so expect some corny jokes from us throughout. So the Brothers War, um, This we're recording this on the night of the first. So not all the spoilers are out yet. And we don't want to go through card by card because that would take forever. And I like to sleep at some point. So does Josh sometimes. Depends on so, the day. We've each kind of gathered a handful of cards to talk about that we want to talk about that we might think see play in various formats. Before we get into that, I do kind of have a couple quick things I want to mention. Uh, mostly reprints. Uh, Fauna Shaman is going to be reprinted. It'll be legal and standard in Pioneer. Uh, I started playing a lot during Sendikar Block. I really like Fauna Shaman. I wish they'd reprint Vengevine with it, so maybe I had a chance at being really good. The Jund Reanimator deck can use Fauna Shaman in Standard. Don't underestimate I, repeatable tutors. I think this will find a spot in Pioneer. I don't know what it'll be, but it's too strong not to. I agree. I agree. Um, the rest of the Painlands are in Standard now, uh, so that's cool. Opens up a lot more archetypes and stuff like that. And then they're doing, I think it's 63 artifacts. Uh, I don't remember exactly what they call them, but it's Strixhaven, the magical art or mystical archives. There's going to be the that one in called schematics. 
The schematics? Is the schematics yeah. the special art, or is that all of them? The What's schematics this? are the special art. The um, I don't know if they had a term for just the artifacts themselves. So in the back of every pack, there's going to be an artifact. There are 63 of them. Uh, the two that stick out to me the most is Mox Amber, because Jeskai Breach is getting a lot of plays uh, modern right now. It's becoming very popular. That card is like $40. I don't think it's going to drastically affect the price, but it would be nice to open something. Uh, Mishra's Bobble is getting a reprint at Uncommon in that slot. So it'll be like 66% of the times an uncommon. So a good chance of getting a Mishra's Bobble. Maybe it won't be an $8 card. Kind of sucks. I just bought the rest of my playset last week. It's in the mail on the way to me. But it is what it is. Um, I'm happy they're reprinting it. Hopefully drive the price down at those a little bit. I don't think it'll be crazy. Uh, but I also like things that makes opening packs more fun. Because I like opening packs. Don't at me, bro. I know. I know it's bad ROI. but Terrible. It is terrible ROI. Uh, Obstinate Bayloth's also getting a reprint at Uncommon. Um, which is cool, I guess. I don't know. The card's fun. It's fine. Um, am I missing any other major reprints that you can think of? Anything like that? I mean, there was some fun uh, cards they're reprinting. Um, not 100% sure on the legality, but it's cool that they're redoing things like Ashnod's Altar, Altar Dementia. I mean, all those cards are neat. Yeah. Uh, it, if for nothing else, to give Commander players more access to them. Um, uh, I play in a world uh, online where access to a lot of these cards is trivial, but I also work at a game store and I see the prices on these cards and uh, shudder to think of how much my uh, decks online would cost me if I built them in paper. It's nice to see them reprinted. Yeah, Monastery Swift Spear. I think that's the other big one in, that's coming into standard. Um, so that's cool. Um, before we get into it, do you want to roughly go over, because you're better at this than I am, the mechanics of the set? the mechanics of the set. So Unearth is coming back. Unearth is a redo mechanic. I believe it was first in Shards of Alara. And the way this one works is uh, you pay the Unearth cost, and the Unearth cost is variable, and the card comes back into play. It comes in with haste. And if it leaves play, not just dies, but if it leaves play for any reason, uh, you exile it, and if it doesn't leave play, then you exile it at the end of the turn. So you get an extra one-shot use out of the card at the end of the turn. Um, which can give you a bit more value on the cards. Prototype is another mechanic in the set, and we still haven't seen the official rulings on them, although I believe I have a, a firm grasp on how it works. A prototype card, so far they've only been artifacts, but they have a cost they have a power and toughness and they have uh, the ability text box just like other cards however they also have a prototype cost and if you cast it for its prototype cost which so far all of them have been a colored prototype cost you will instead get a different power and toughness color but you'll keep the abilities on the card um, so it gives you some flexibility in how to play a card. Uh, Meld is also returning in this set. Uh, Meld is a mechanic where you'll have two separate cards 
And when you meet the requirements on those cards, those two separate cards will combine. The back halves will make an oversized card, generally of absurd power. Uh, so that's pretty fun. Um, am I missing any mechanics? I'm missing one. Uh, I'm scrolling through. I, those are the only three I can think of off the top of my head that are actually mechanics that aren't evergreen. Ah, okay. Interestingly, this is uh, the first time we've seen uh, an unearth on a non-creature. This is the first time we'll be seeing that, so that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm going to take us off then. Uh, my first one is actually a first two. Uh, there are two legendary artifacts. There is the Stasis Coffin, uh, which is three generic mana for a legendary artifact. It says two, tap, exile the Stasis Coffin. You gain protection from everything until end of turn. Um, before I get into the second card that's very similar to this, I'll talk about this a little bit. It exiles itself. Uh, people are kind of hyped on it. You can get it back with Karn the Great Creator from Exile. It's not overly repeatable because you do have to. Your Karn will run out. Um, but in decks like Painter, which is mostly where I look for stuff like a Legacy, it does give you a sideboard target that does just stop you from losing to stuff like Storm. I don't know if it's good enough to get a slot, but it's interesting and definitely something to keep your eye on. Um, the other very cool part about it is every color has a Teferi's protection in Commander now. So before you had to run white, now every color has it because it's an artifact, it's colorless. So I think that's pretty cool. The second one, which I think is really good, I think it's going to see a lot of play, I'm very excited for, is called the Stone Brain. It's two generic mana for legendary artifact. It says two, tap, exile the Stone Brain. Choose a card name. Search target, opponent's graveyard, hand, and library for up to four cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. Activate only as a sorcery. So... The first thing I thought of is you can play a Blood Moon and rip everyone's lands out of their deck. And that's probably the worst way to, <laughs> yeah. use, to use this card. Uh, it is very cool um, that it says this. I have some theories about upcoming previews. In the original 20-minute teaser video that they released last week, the week before, something like that, it showed you card arts in the background, and it had the card's names at the bottom. And all the Urzatron lands, as they're called, were shown there. So I think that's part of the reason why this card's here. Because if Tron does become a thing in like standard, you can play this. You can name a Tron land, exile all the one card, you know, Urza's Tower, something like that from your opponent's land, graveyard, all that fun stuff, their deck. And it shuts that off. Um, it can take away threats and slow controly games. Uh, and this is a card that you can get back from Karn. I think two activations of this, if you have a card in the Great Creator in play, you put it into play, activate it. Next turn, grab it, put it into play, activate it. Um, probably wins you the game against a lot of decks. 
in a fair amount of formats. So I don't know. What's your thoughts on these two cards, Josh? The um, Brainstone or Stone Brain. I'm going to call it wrong all the time because there's already another card named Brainstone. Uh, I, I like that card quite a bit, actually. It's activate it twice or, you know, use two of them, activate both of them. Uh, does seem like a, a pretty legitimate win in a lot of formats. A lot of decks don't have more than two or three ways to kill you. Uh, I like that one quite a bit. The other card, it's interesting. It gives access to a pseudo Teferi's protection for everybody in Commander. I don't think that's a constructed, uh, like a modern card. I just don't feel it there. For sure. Um, like I said, if it goes anywhere, I think it's Painter and Legacy. Maybe it's a one of in the versions that play Karn the Great Creator that can pull it out of the sideboard. But it still might not be fast enough to beat stuff like the Epic Storm or the Epic Gamble or um, Ad Nauseam Tendrils. The decks you want it against, I don't know if it's fast enough, but it is kind of cool to put it into play. Um, the Stone Brain just stops combo decks. It's going to do really good against the... Uh, why can't I think of the name of the card, Josh? The Graveyard Deck and Pioneer. You bring back vehicles. Greasefang. Oh, Greasefang? Yeah. Um, this can do some work against Greasefang. You can take all the Greasefangs out of their deck. You can take all the Parhelis out, too. I mean... Yeah, usually they play some sort of backup vehicle um, that's a little bit more castable. So I think... But that's... That's the beauty of a card like this, though, is it gives you that flexibility. I, I don't think it's only good against combos. I think it's good against light threat decks, too. Control decks are going to hate this card. They don't usually have very many threats to end the game. If you take their threats away, what are they going to do? Counter your spells and kill your creatures until they deck out? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, if you're playing any kind of combo deck in any format, you can use this to protect your combo. You can take the hate away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, it's a small part, but I think it's definitely bigger than we give it credit for. You get to see your opponent's hand. You and, know? Deck. and deck. And deck. Playing with perfect, almost perfect information is kind of a big deal. So, yeah. I'm excited for this deck, this card. Um, I think it gives Tron another weapon in modern. You know, the Cascade decks are significantly worse if you take away the card they cascade into for the most part. Like, Living End without Living End isn't good. Um, they can win still. They can play 4-mana 5-5 five, five Flyers. Don't go on Twitter and tell me how stupid I am. I'm not saying it's just game over against them, but it is pretty, pretty good uh, against that style of deck and any deck like you were saying. So I think I've rambled on enough about these two. What do you have, Josh, for your first one? We're moving to my first one. All right, we're starting with uh, Simeon Simulcrum. I'm excited about this card. I think it's really good. Uh, it's three mana for an artifact creature. Most importantly, it's an ape. We need more apes. It is a 2-1. Now, that doesn't sound that exciting, but it says when it comes into play, put two 1-1 counters on target creature you control. This effectively makes it a 3-mana 4-3, or you have the option of putting those two counters on something already in play. For an aggro beatdown deck, that's two power of haste, usually. Um, even better, it's got Unearth. 
It's got Unearth of 2 and 2 green, which is a reasonable cost, which means you're going to get that effect again. You're going to get another attack with this card. Um, I really, really want to see a Gruul aggro deck based around cards just like these. Uh, I've played a lot of decks like that. They're a lot of fun to play. There's more interaction in them than you might think. This is a piece that fits that build perfectly. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of pieces there for uh, a Gruul deck in Standard, especially with uh, the kind of the whole modified theme, which this fits into perfectly. And I don't know about you, but I've played plenty of aggro games where I just need another four points of damage somehow. So being able to bring this back late game after a board wipe or whatnot is definitely very, very powerful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be a good card. I think it'll see standard play. It's not the most exciting. Um, I, I like it. I think it's exciting. It doesn't do cool, flashy stuff. It just turns sideways and attacks. I like that. That that is good. That is that is a fun way to play Magic. Um, I'm sorry, I've been playing Vintage. Okay, I'm not used to doing fair things. You're probably not used to attacking either. And, I did beat my opponent by swinging with Hull Breachers. Okay. <laughs> well, then you should know that uh, two one one counters on that Hull Breacher would have shortened your clock by two turns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his Mana Crypt helped me out there. I appreciated it. Um, yeah, I got super lucky that game. Anyways, uh, I don't have much more to say on the card. Uh, it, it kind of is what it is, but I do think it gives that um, a lot, that archetype, a lot of boost. And it being three colorless is really relevant because maybe in the future a Naya or Jun deck becomes more popular for that more aggro uh, aggressive deck. Yep. Um, and so you're going to have a bajillion pain lands. You don't have to ping yourself to play it the first time. So small thing, but relevant in my opinion. What's your next card? My next card, Josh hates me for. It's called Thran Spider. Thran Spider is three generic mana for a 2-4 with reach. It says when Thran Spider enters the battlefield, you and target opponent each create a tapped Power Stone token. It has the activated ability, a seven generic mana. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest onto the bottom of your library in a random order. So. Uh, we're going to talk about Painter Servant some more. Um, Painter Servant is an artifact-based combo in Legacy. Um, if you guys don't know, Painter Servant itself is a two-generic mana for a 1-3 that says when it comes to play, choose a color, everything's that color. And then Grindstone is one mana, uh, one generic mana for an artifact that says three tap, uh, target player uh, mills the top two cards of their library. Three cards. The top or, three. Oh, no, no, it is two. Sorry. Yeah. Top two cards of their library. If they share a color, repeat it. So with Painter Servant in play, they mill their whole deck, <clears throat> and you win. It also has a lot of flex spots in it. There's a lot of different ways to build the deck. Um, if you're interested in it, there's a Painter Discord. You should check it out. Also, Lightwalker on YouTube. Um Plays a million variations. It's played in all different colors. The most common color to play it in is red. 
because you have Goblin Welder. Goblin Welder's a one red for a one one that essentially says you can target an artifact and play and an artifact in the same person's graveyard, make them swap places. So a lot of them play Brea's Apprentice as a one of and is the slot this utility slot that can attack and do things but has other value other places and I really think Thran Spider might fill that role a little better um, first off it's a 2-4 so it blocks and kills a flipped Delver of Secrets and it blocks Dragon Rage Channeler and if you've played Legacy the last uh, year or two you know that's super relevant because Delver's and with Merktide and all that's by far the best deck um, you can use the Power Stone usually much more effectively than your opponent can, and it does give you something to weld out. And late game, a lot of times when you're playing this deck, you kind of go to top deck mode, depending on the matchup, um, because you try to combo off, your opponent stops you, you make some Construct to tokens, you beat them down, both of you kind of re run out of resources. So if you can get something like this in place, that the mana is a lot, but if you're able to activate it, Find pieces of your combo uh, to put into play and help you close out the game. Another small remark I'd like to make about this card is its activated ability costs seven generic mana. There's also uh, a one mana artifact that is called Goblin Firebomb, which is one generic mana with flash. It says seven tap, sacrifice, and destroy target permanent. Okay, I get it. Card's not that good. What can you do to tap three lands and make seven mana? Tron lands. So I know it's not confirmed yet 100% that it's going to be in standard, but with these seven colorless mana activations floating around in the set, I definitely think it leans to show that that's going to happen, hopefully revealed shortly. Um, or I'm going to be really wrong. We'll find out. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, do you have anything to say about the Rain Spider besides you think I'm stupid? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. I think the card is decent. I don't think it's particularly special. I think its activation in modern is a pipe dream. Um, now if Tron is in standard, this is a different card. This could be a very real card if Tron is in standard. Yeah, absolutely. Standard or even pi that'd make make it pioneer legal. Um which I don't know. The the mono green devotion deck has a lot of ramp in it already. Uh Sylvan Scrying is legal in that format. Um I hadn't really yeah. thought about this card in Pioneer, but that this could also maybe see some play in Pioneer. It Pioneer is a format where this activation could go off. And I do think this card lives or dies by whether or not you can activate it, which is why I don't like it too much in Modern. Yeah, that's fair. There's not a lot. Um, the biggest issue is you'd want to play this in a deck that plays uh, Urza um, from Modern Horizons 1. And this card cannot get Urza. So, you True. know, yeah. Uh, or Urza Saga, the two biggest cards you want to put in your hand probably from that deck. So, yeah, it's not, it, it might not be super great. I'm just excited to try it in my pet deck. So I threw it in my list. Absolutely. That's what spoiler season is all about is getting, uh, 
silly excited about cards, whether or not they actually turn out the way you want, that that's for time. We will find out. What is your next one? Uh, the next card I'm going to talk about, I'm going to actually switch my order here. I'm going to talk about Clay Champion, because it kind of fits with the first card I was talking about, the uh, Simeon. Clay Champion is X and a 4 for a 2-2 artifact creature construct. And it says that Clay Champion enters the battlefield with three 1-1 one, one counters on it for each double green spent to cast it. And it also has, when Clay Champion enters the battlefield, choose up to two other target creatures you control. Put uh, For each double white you spent to cast it, put a 1-1 one, one counter on each of them. Now, at first glance, when I saw this card, I was like, this doesn't look that good. It's super expensive for some counters or... Yeah. Uh, then I thought about it, and I was like, what if I don't pay X? What if X is zero? What if I just pay green, 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 green? Oh, wait, I get an 8-8? Eight, eight? That's pretty big. Um, I like the fact that this card can be an enormous creature for a somewhat small cost. Granted, heavy color cost. Or can fit into a white deck where you can, again, use these counters as pseudo-haste putting these counters on creatures that are already in play. Imagine playing this on turn four for white, 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 white. And uh, effectively, you're going to get um, four, four worth of haste out of this creature, in addition to making two of your creatures, you know, sturdy, able to attack. Uh, I like this card. I think this card is better than it looks at face value. And again, this could fit into that Gruel Aggro deck. This could fit into some sort of mid-range um, Naya deck, maybe. Um, it's exciting to me. I, I like cards like this. Yeah, it's definitely... It's either going to be the most overrated or underrated card of the set. That's where we're kind of at with Clay Champion. Um, because four mana for 8-8 eight, eight is crazy. Without Trample, mind you. That is... Yeah, there's. Big There's downside. no evasive abilities in standard. You know, it still just trades with a shieldred. Um, but but also it trades with a shieldred for four mana. I don't think anyone's heard about that. Uh, killing that card's pretty important. Um, well, yeah, not no. only that, but the white side of it might make your other guys trade with shieldred too. I, it's versatile. It's not just a generic large creature. It's sometimes a large creature, it's sometimes a team buffer, and don't forget, it has X in the casting cost. This isn't a bad top deck. Late game, you can funnel 6 mana, 8 mana, 10 mana into this card, and still get value out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be... Uh, this is the limited bomb in the set, in my opinion. This is it. Ah. Um, so I, I'm going to disagree with that. I don't think... I play a lot of limited, and this creature is pretty versatile. It is going to be a bomb in limited. I don't know if it's the bomb in limited. I like my bombs in limited to have removal attached to them, and this does not. Well, that's fair. Fair enough. Be beggars can't be choosers, though. I, I'm not going to be unhappy to open this in limited, but <laughs> no. I don't think it's the best card to open. Even with what's already revealed, there's a few other cards I think would be stronger in a purely limited environment. Okay. Um, I'll go on to my next card. Again, this is more for the eternal formats. I might see some modern play. It's mostly a sideboard card. I don't know what I have for sideboard cards today, but I think there's a lot of good silver bullets in this set. I agree there. Yeah. 
So this is a, this is an uncommon. It's Calamity's Wake. It's a generic and a white mana for an instant. It says exile all uh, exile all graveyards. Players can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Exile Calamity's Wake. Um. So it is a worse silence, but exile all graveyards is kind of a big deal in a lot of places, whether it's against Reanimator, whether it's against Storm, uh, Living End. There's a lot of times that line of text is super relevant. Well, it's uh, double effective against Living End because you can cast it on the Cascade spell and they can't Cascade. And you eat their graveyard. Yeah. Um, any of the Cascade checks in general with the Cascade spell on the stack, you can cast this response. Um, and I like my sideboard cards to not be matchup specific as much as I can. I like having cards that I can bring in in multiple matchups and fill multiple rules. So this is an instant speed graveyard hate. Um, this also, if I'm playing some sort of combo deck or something that I need to protect, or let's say I have a lethal board and I need my opponent to not Wrath of God during their upkeep, I cast this. They can't play any non-creature spells against a lot of control decks. That means they don't get to play spells that turn uh, so that I can untap and attack for the win. Different situations like that. I just think it's unique and flexible, and I'm kind of excited to see what it does. So, Totally again. with you there. I think this is a really, really good sideboard card. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know how much it's going to supplant. So the biggest problem with this card is it because it takes a sideboard slot, it's going to have to compete with your other sideboard cards. The question remains, is it better than your uh, current options? But it is definitely something to think about when you put your sideboard together. And uh, it's a story spotlight card, which I know doesn't really matter. Um, but this is essentially the card that right after uh, Urza activates the Silex, kills his brother, dooms his plane to a dark age and a bunch of other stuff. Not that he really cares about. That's what it is. It's really good flavor text. So, bonus some bonus points there. I'm a big fan of reading stories. The stories as they come out for the lore, I know a lot of people don't like them, but I think that's part of what makes Magic Magic, and I think they did a really, really good job with the set as far as the story goes. What what's the lore on the Transformers? Oh, <laughs> so just in case you guys don't all know, Josh is an old man who does not like change. Get off his true. front yard. That's true. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, the lore about the Transformers is uh, it's also owned by Hasbro. So, touche. That's the, that's the lore. Uh, We'll get into the Transformers cards maybe at the end if we have a little bit of time. I'm actually personally super excited for them. I think they're neat, casual-ish cards. So, what do you got next? Uh, next we have Urza's Silex. Um, I think I like this card a lot more than Brendan, but uh, I do like this card. It is three mana for a legendary artifact, and it's going to feel very similar in theme to Karn Silex by design. It is two white-white, tap, and exile it. Each player chooses six lands they control, destroy all other permanents, activate only as a sorcery. 
And then it also has the uh, little bit of text here at the end that says, when Urza Silex is put into exile from the battlefield, you can pay two colorless. And if you do, search your library for a Planeswalker card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and shuffle. It's another Oblivion Stone sort of effect. Um, those have been played in the past. Uh, they're not amazing, but they're not bad. Uh, they've been played in Tron heavily. Tron still plays Oblivion Stone, for that matter, most versions. Um, this one is white activated, so it does change things a little bit. One of the biggest benefits of O-Stone or Neb's Disc is they're completely colorless. This is not. However, this is a card that a control deck would drool over. It does everything a control deck wants to do. It wipes out everything except for Lance. And then it gets you your win condition some of the time. Um, Paying seven mana is a lot for a Wrath, but you get to pay it over two turns if you need to. I think this is going to be a card that could potentially make a real full-on control deck available again in Standard. Something like maybe an Esper control deck that's going to win off of uh, four or five and six mana Planeswalkers. This is a card that they're going to think about. May not be a full four of, but it's probably going to be a two of or a three of in their decks. Um. I definitely don't like this card as much as you do. I do like the tutor part. The more I thought about that last night, uh, the more I did like it. Um, especially if like some sort of Tron control becomes a thing um, in Standard. And the issue in Standard is there's not a really good payoff for this card for you to tutor for. It does get the Wandering Emperor, um, but that's about the only really good Planeswalker in those colors that you want to tutor for. My favorite part about this card is you put it in play on three and you just kind of get to slow down your opponent and mess with their game plan. And it kind of becomes this weird chess match of, well, maybe if I play this creature, he will blow up, use the Silex this turn so I can play this and this. Or maybe they just don't play into it and you slowly take less damage, it lets you put a threat to play. Um, you know, like a... Uh, some sort of planeswalker creature that can kind of turn the tide, but if they have a way to remove it, you can have this as an answer. So I really like that chess piece kind of gameplay that this creates just by putting it in play, just like it happens with Oblivion Stone. If um, you've ever played with Pernicious Deed... You know all about that, because that's what Pernicious Deed was great at. The difference here is, this does only activate as a sorcery. I was really excited until I read that line. Yeah, and I guess... Do you play this over uh, Karn Silex that we talked about last week? Yes, because Karn Silex is a sideboard card. Like, I, I would be happy to play Karn Silex... Uh, but this doesn't replace Silex, uh, Karn Silex. It's a different card entirely. Like, I'm going to play Karn Silex in the decks where I want Karn Silex. Urza Silex may be in those decks, or it may not be. It just depends. This is a totally different card from Karn Silex. They have, thematically, I like how they did it with both of them exiling themselves. They both cost the same. They're both legendary artifacts. That's neat. Uh, but they're not really similar cards. Okay, okay. Fair enough. I will tell. Um, Karn, I, oh, so let, let me add one thing. Karn Silex, you play for the first line of text. 
which is the you can't activate abilities, and you get a bonus Neb's disc attached to it. Urza's Silex, you play for the Neb's disc, and you get a bonus tutor attached to it. Okay, that's a good way to put it. I like that. I like that. So next, we didn't really have these on our list. We just want to talk about them because people talk about them. That's the two Planeswalkers we have seen so far in the set. And we will talk about the one that I've seen the most hype about. Hold on. I got one more uh, set of cards to go through. Why do you? Are are we doing those after? Okay. Yeah, I figured we'd do that. I'm I'm excited for my next two. Yeah, yeah. I figured figured because our next, they all kind of go together. So we'll end with that. Sounds great. Uh, All right. As you guys can tell. Impeccable planning by me and Josh beforehand. Absolutely. We definitely didn't type up the show notes 20 minutes before we started recording after talking about it for two hours last night. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, the first card we're going to talk about here is Tefo- Teferi, Temporal Pilgrim. Uh, he's three generic mana, two blue for a legendary planeswalker. Comes into play with four uh, f- uh, loyalty counters. He has the static ability of whenever you draw a card, put a loyalty counter on Teferi, which is very cool. His zero is draw a card, so essentially it's a plus one. His minus two is create a 2-2 blue spirit creature token with vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. His minus 12 is target opponent chooses a permanent they control, and we're turns it to its owner's hand, then they shuffle each non-land permanent they control into its owner's library. I don't think it's that good. Um, a lot of people are very excited about it. Yes, it's a five-mana planeswalker that can make a 2-2 that grows with vigilance to protect itself. Um, hang on. Don't we have a four-mana planeswalker that does the same thing that makes a 2-2 vigilance that grows and protects itself? And has more relevant lines of text. Oh, the Wandering Emperor. That's right. That's also in standard right now. Um, <clears throat> in a perfect world, you play this on five. You make a two-two. Whatever your opponent played on turn four in standard right now, a two-two is gonna die. So then you draw a card. It goes up to three. You make a two-two. It attacks it again. Your two-two dies. Uh, it is cool. You can put it in play, draw a card, replace itself. They don't have a way to answer it. Yes, the tutus can run out of control. I do think the card is very cool. I just don't think it's that good. On a positive note, it does beat Karn Living Legacy. You know what? So <laughs> does every single uncommon Planeswalker from War of the Spark. All of them. Even the bad ones. Uh, because that card is garbage. What a disappointment, by the way. Can we take a minute to talk about... And maybe, maybe it hasn't happened yet. But every day, I look through the previews and I go, does this card make Karn and his Power Stones a $20 card? And so far, nothing. Nope. Not at all. I'm not seeing it. Maybe I'm wrong. Have you seen it yet? No, don't hold your breath. Okay, okay. Fair enough. Uh... You got any other things you want to trash? I mean, talk about Teferi. Nope, I think uh, I think we've done a, enough on that one. Okay, uh, the next one we'll talk about real quickly. I'll let you talk about this one, Josh. Uh, the next one is Sahili, and 
Sahili is two, a blue, and a red for a Sahili Planeswalker. She starts on three loyalty. Uh, her plus one is scry one, and then you can tap an untapped, uh, untapped artifact you control, and if you do, draw a card. Her minus two is make two one one colorless Thopter artifact flyers. They have haste till end of turn. And her minus four is you get an emblem that says artifact creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. Uh, much differently from Teferi, I think this card is very good. Uh, it's a four mana walker that can draw cards, that can card filter on that card draw. Uh, it has a very cheap ultimate, uh, low impact, but impactful enough that it's good. You get a Helm of Awakening and a Crusade effect to your board, and it can protect itself a little bit by making some flyers. It can also do damage the turn it comes into play with those flyers if you need it to. Uh, I think I've seen enough Planeswalkers to know that if it costs more than four mana, it needs to pretty much end the game. Four mana is kind of the top end for where you can get value out of your walkers. Uh, barring a few weird exceptions and decks. This one gives you value. It does a little bit of everything. It can protect itself reasonably well. It can do damage. It can draw cards. It can enable combos with the Helm of Awakening aspect of it. It, it seems good. Um, I'm really hoping an Artifact Aggro deck pops out of this format, and I'm really hoping that Sahili is somewhere in that list. Uh, and if it's not, I still think this card sees play. I think we build around uh, this card as a top end. I just think it's it's good enough to do that. So in standard right now, let's just take this line of play, okay? Turn three, you play Fable the Mirror Breaker. You make your 2-2 that makes a treasure token. Turn four, you attack with your 2-2. You make a treasure token. You play Sahili. You plus one, you tap the treasure token. You scry a card and uh, draw a card afterwards. You scry one, then draw a card. Or you can minus to it right then. And this by itself, like you don't have to have a bunch of other artifact creatures to make this card and its emblem really good. Um, you, if you're playing some blue red tempo ish deck, that maybe part of your win con is you just minus her, then plus her, then minus her, then plus her, and then you get an emblem eventually, and you're getting in there with uh, these Thopter uh, flyers. Uh, so yeah, no, I agree with you. I think this card isn't being talked about enough, and I do really like it, um, especially in standard. I don't know if it's good enough to see play. The two color constrictions kind of keeps it out of modern. Maybe there's something I'm missing in Pioneer, um, but I'd like for this card to see play. I'm excited to try it out, play with it um, in various formats. So, since you were the one that was all excited I will let you talk about your cards first. Absolutely. So we're moving on into what I'm probably most excited so far for in the set, uh, other than uh, stuff for fun decks and Mimi stuff. Uh, Titania, Voice of Gaia. She is the third meld card that they previewed. She is one, a green and a green for a 3-4 reach legendary elemental. She says, when, when a, whenever one or more lands are put into your graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if there are four or more lands in your graveyard, and you both own and control this and a land named Argoth, Sanctum of Nature, you get to uh, meld them into Titania, Gaia, Incarnate. We'll talk about Argoth and the melded card here in a minute. First, I'm going to start by just saying, this card is good. 
Without any of that extra meld text, this card is good. It's a 3-mana, three 3-4 three, reach. Uh, Brennan was excited about a 2-4 reach because it can block um, Delvers, it can block uh, Dragon Raids, Channelers, so can this. 3-mana, uh, 3-4 three, reach. You can actually trade uh, positively with a Dragon Rage Channeler. It's got the same stat line as Endurance, and Endurance has been used to block those creatures quite a bit. It also has Lands Matter themed onto it. Uh, the Jun decks almost universally will care about Lands Matter themes, and this is going to gain you life when Lands hit your graveyard, whether that's from a fetch land being activated, going from a minus one life to a plus one life, uh, to a life from the loam flipping over a couple of lands and gaining you four life, um, to a wasteland being activated and gaining you two life in the process. I mean, there's so many ways that lands hit the graveyard. Uh, having your own lands wastelanded and gaining life, uh, these it, it's a very powerful card on its own. Um, next, I'm going to talk about Argoth, Sanctum of Nature. And then we'll go back to those two cards and see what Brendan thinks about them. Argoth, unfortunately, is not that good, in my opinion. It is not legendary. It is just a land. And it comes into play tapped unless you control a legendary green creature. That's not going to happen that often. It taps for a green, and its ability is two green green and tap to make a 2-2 two, two bear token and then mill three cards. Um, I don't think this land is good, but I also don't think it's that bad. And the price you pay to get the two cards in play and have the ability to meld them is pretty low. Uh, what do you think, Brennan? Um, so first off, on Argoth, it's only as a sorcery, which makes it a lot worse. It is cool that it mills you to mill lands to put Titania's, to, to gain you life with Titania to help get that going. Uh, you know, the big thing I think you didn't mention with Titania, you mentioned like every other land, but the channel lands work extremely well with her, especially in the newer formats, such yep. as Standard and Pioneer. Absolutely. Um, where I think... And man lands. More likely to fan. And man lands that die. Um, but you can channel a land, destroy, you know, channel your Besaju, destroy their thing, gain th two life. Uh, it seems good. It has really good synergies with Solo Wingrace. That's already kind of a deck. Uh, you could play it maybe in Modern or Legacy with, uh, I don't see it necessarily, but Urza Saga is the thing. It's a land, it goes to your graveyard, it helps activate them and meld them, and um, I know we're going to get to the meld. My biggest issue with meld creatures has always been, uh, usually you have to play two cards that are usually fairly expensive or aren't that great on their own necessarily. Um, so you have to play two cards, they meld, and then they die, and you get two for one, and you're setting yourself up for two for one. And that cost is very mitigated because it costs you a land, but when it melds, all the lands in your graveyard come back, so it really only costs you one card, uh, which I think is very, very interesting. I think that's huge. It really is the problem that I have with all of the other melds, you're paying a cost of some sort to have the ability to get the amazing super mega ultra whatever meld card. This case, all you're doing is playing a slightly worse forest. Yeah, that's it. Like you're already playing Titania for every other bit of text on that card. Um, I think 
this is probably going to see play in Legacy. I don't think it's good enough for Vintage. Vintage is just a little too fast for Titania, I think. Um, this could see Edge play in Vintage. I think it will see play in Modern. Uh, I think it'll see a decent amount of play in Modern. And I absolutely think it's going to see play in Pioneer and Standard for as long as Jund is a thing. Oh, you know what the great thing about having a podcast now is, Josh? What's that? Uh one of us gets to tell the other one, I told you so. Three That's right. And it gets to be recorded and uh, saved for posterity. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to get back to the backside of it? The, the part that makes us, you know, very good? Yep. And funny enough, this is the part I'm least excited about. Uh, but it is really cool. Uh, it melds into Titania Gaia's Incarnate. And I'll just remind you, the way that it melds is if you have four or more lands in your graveyard and you have the Titania and the Argoth. It's a reasonably easy meld cost. Um, uh, and what it turns into, Titania Gaia Incarnate, is a legendary creature, elemental avatar. It has Vigilance, Reach, Trample, and Haste. It has Power and Toughness equal to the number of lands you control. And when it comes into play, because meld cards do come into play on the back half, return all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And then its last line is 3 to green. Put 4 one, 1 counters on target land you control. It's a 0-0 zero, zero with Haste. Um, it's a beater. Uh, if you actually meld this card, it's going to be at a minimum uh, a 5, 5, 6, 6. I mean, you're getting four lands back, and you had to have at least one or two in play at this point. Uh, so it's going to be a large creature, probably closer to an 8, 8 when it actually hits play. It's going to swing for a lot of damage. It has the ability uh, to make your lands uh, go on the offensive as well. Um Really, it's going to end the game pretty quickly after you meld it, if not the very turn that you meld it. Uh, again, though, I do think this is the least impressive part of the card. Yeah, uh, the interesting part, so maybe you put this in a more controlling shell, is that it has vigilance and reach. Yep. Um, I, you know, so it's offensive and defensive right away. Um, like Josh mentioned, the reason these cards have haste, like the card I will talk about also has haste when it melds is because when it melds, both of them are exiled, and they come back into play melded together. Um, so, no, I'm not super excited about the back. It's just fairly free to play. It's fairly free to make this happen. You know, you can kind of have a mid-rangey value deck that out of nowhere smokes someone in the face with an 8-8 trampler, even a 6-6 trampler, uh, when they're not ready for it. And you get lands back. These cards replace themselves. If they do two for one, you like I said before, because you're going to have at least four lands in your graveyard. So when that happens, uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe you're onto something here. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't. I don't know. I'm still not seeing it in Legacy. I um, I I love this card in Legacy. Uh, the, the, again, it's great that it's recorded because I'm going to be looking at this card. It's the one that so far. I have actually looked at and just immediately said, this is amazing. Uh, every other card that I've liked, I have my doubts on in some aspects. This one, I, I have no doubts. And I would not be surprised to see it played as a four of index with like, say, one Argoth in the deck where the meld is just, you know, once every 20 games. I just think the card's that good. Maybe. I don't know. The issue is, I guess... I just don't see the deck it slots into a legacy right now. Um, that it I think slots it was right into Jund. Jund legacy? 
I'm talking about oh, Legacy. Oh, I'm sorry, in Legacy, okay. You know, in Standard, this is definitely going to see play. It does slot right into the Jund deck fairly free. Um, it's going to stop the other aggressive decks. Uh, that's one of the issues the Jund decks kind of had compared to like the Esper mid-range deck. You have Rafine on three. You have Wedding Announcement on three. Um, where you only have Feeble the Mirror Breaker, really. Um, and all your other three drops that if you do play them, like Graveyard Trespasser, like they're fine, but they're not super powerful, impactful. And this might be. Um, it's a good blocker with reach that gains you life. So, yeah, it could be very relevant. So, um, Knight of the Reliquary, I think, is a fair card to compare this alongside of because the deck this is going to go into immediately in Legacy that I can see is the Lands deck. And Knight of the Reliquary is a three-mana play, just like this one. Um, it has potential to turn into a large creature, just like this one. It tutors for lands, whereas this one brings lands back. This one is a more defensive play, whereas Knight is the more aggressive play in the tutoring and the power toughness. Uh, they fill a very similar role, though. And I think this could definitely find its way into that deck. That deck runs uh, crop rotation. That deck runs... Um, uh, Life from the Loam, a lot of ways. Lands going in and out of the graveyard left and right. It's a lot of free life. I mean, that is possible. I just think that deck's too fast to play this. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. We will find out. Um, moving on to our next meld cards. Uh, Mishra, claimed it by Gix, is two colorless, a black and a red. For a 3-5 legendary Phyrexian human artificer. Uh, it does have text on it. It says whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is the number of attacking creatures. And then it says if Mishra claimed by Gix and a creature named Phyrexian Dragon Engine are attacking uh, and you own, both own and control them, exile them and melt them into Mishra the Lost Phyrexia and uh, enters the battlefield tapped and attacking. Uh, so real quick, I'd like to mention the reason you have to own both of them and control both of them is because, uh, essentially it flickers itself out of play and then comes back into play. So if it wasn't your, if you stole your opponents, it went out of play. When it came back into play, it would go back into play under your opponent's control. That's why it's worded like that. Um, this isn't the card I'm excited about. Uh, it's fine. It's a four mana three, five uh, that does stuff. But before we talk about it too much, I'd like to talk about the card it melds with, which is Phyrexian Dragon Engine. It's three generic mana for a 2-2 double striker. It says whenever Phyrexian Dragon Engine enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw three cards. It has Unearth for three generic and two red. So there's a lot of very cool lines that can happen here. Phyrexian Dragon Engine by itself uh, in a red uh, in this case, it would be a Rakdos aggressive deck. Um, is fine. A three mana two two double strike. Uh, you know, it's going to punch in for four. It's going to trade fairly favorable in combat uh, with other three um, three drops and two drops. Uh, and the great thing is, late game, you know, you're in top deck mode. You're waiting for a burn spell or something like that to burn out your opponent, and you can uh, bring it back. You know, it it really reads unearth it, draw three cards, maybe discard a land or something. Um, 
So the other cool thing, as far as melding it goes, is you play it on three. You play your Mishra. Mishra is hard to kill. It is a five toughness creature. Um, they kill this. You can untap and unearth it as long as you make your land drops, and it melds. In my opinion, the meld on this one is very, very powerful. Um, I'll read the meld card now before we let Josh get into it. It says, Mishra lost to Phyrexia. It's also a legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Artificer. It says, whenever Mishra lost to Phyrexia, enters the battlefield or attacks, choose three. Targeted opponent discards two cards. Mishra deals three damage to any target. Destroy target, artifact, or planeswalker. Creatures you control gain menace and trample until end of turn. Creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or create two tapped power stone tokens. Um, what a very bad way to end all those really good lines of text. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to make power stone tokens with this. But you can blightening your opponent and give your 9-9 trampled menace. Uh, seems good. What are your thoughts, Josh? I think it seems really, really good. The uh, backside of that card, I mean, it doesn't really need much explaining. The card is just loaded with awesome lines of text, and it's huge, and it's an alpha strike, and it can kill stuff, and it can make them discard their cards. It's it's really good. I, I think the important part is looking at uh, what leads to the meld, and on these cards, it's not that bad. You're playing the Dragon Engine on three. You're playing the Mishra on four, and you're melding on five. Even if they kill your Dragon Engine, another land drop, and you can unearth it and meld anyway. This one is reasonable to expect that you actually build a deck around these cards with the plan to meld it. Yeah, especially as a late-game finisher. But... Again, if I'm playing a very aggressive Racto strategy, you know, I go one drop, two drop, you know, maybe I, I miss my Phyrexian Dragon Engine, so I play another three drop, or I play another two drop and a one drop. Um, the Historically, the cards that deal damage or siphon when you attack before damage is dealt have seen standard play. Um, and this does just that. And Another small note on Phyrexian Dragon Engine is it's kind of an Ox of Agonis. I don't know if any modern dredge deck will want to play this. I don't know if it's good enough. I don't play that deck in modern. I don't think it's particularly good. Costs too but much mana for that deck, I think. I think so as well. It is just interesting. You don't have to exile eight cards from your graveyard to do. True. Um, let's just say if it shows up in that deck, I'm not surprised. But I'm not expecting it to drastically change that deck. Um, and again, both of these cards are just fine on their own. And what, because it's a ETBs, so when they kill it, you've already gotten three of these effects. So if you're two for one of yourself when they kill this, theoretically, okay, you have dealt three damage to something, or let's just say you made them discard two cards, destroyed their planeswalker, and something else when they kill it. You've gotten three of their cards plus their removal spell, so four of their cards for two of your cards, and that's a pretty good return on investment there. So, I don't think we're going to get any more meld cards. There is one other meld card in this set, 
that I don't think is good. Um, sadly, I just don't think it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I think Josh has the same feelings on it. We're not going to super get into that. Uh, do you have anything else to say about Mishra? I mean, it's it's a beater. Yeah, Urza is bad. Yeah, Urza is bad. Uh, Josh tried to talk himself into it last night as we talked uh, to see what we're going to say on the podcast, discuss, and um, I'm glad you came back around to Urza is bad. Hey, I still haven't given up hope on the uh, Might Stone and Weak Stone. I think that card is interesting, and I really want it to be good. I just, my gut tells me it's really bad. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Urza's activated ability to meld them does cost seven. Which seems to be a reoccurring theme. So, yeah, that wraps up uh, our first half of our review of uh, the Brothers War. What do you think of the set overall so far? What are your thoughts? So, I love artifact sets. Artifact sets have been probably second favorite to me, right behind five color sets. Um, And this is an artifact set. It, It has all kinds of fun artifacts. Uh, re- even the reprinted ones that aren't going to be standard legal, uh, I loved playing with a lot of those cards. It has my uh, second favorite card of all time in that list, Staff of Domination. Uh, I like this set. I like the theme. Uh, I think the story of the Brothers War is one of the best. Um, in my opinion, the top two stories are the Nicol Bullis story and the Brothers War, and I honestly don't know which order I'd put them in. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I see a lot of lot of play for limited, and I'm primarily a limited player, so I love seeing grindy commons and uncommons that you can play early for tempo or play late for value. I love seeing things like that. Like Unearth is a just a, a gift that keeps on giving. So I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. I think the prototype mechanic is going to be interesting to play around with. I know people are talking about flickering it. If that works, it's it's not going to be as broken as you think it is, because um, none of them really have super strong ETBs. Uh, I like the fact that, A, they're reprinting a lot of cards that have kind of gained popularity because of Commander into Standard, and they're very accessible. Uh, Diabolic Intense, randomly, what, like a $20, $30 card right now? Yep. Um, I don't think it'll be super great. Uh, I know a lot of people are very hyped about it, but from my understanding, I didn't see play in Standard back in the day. And there's a few niche places I can see it seeing play in Modern and Pioneer specifically, but I'm not overly thrilled. But it is cool that these cards are becoming accessible to open out of packs for players. Um, after the rest of the set comes out, we will talk about Josh's favorite part of this set, which is the fact that you can open up Transformers in your packs. Not draft uh, packs. I'm never going to see them. Yeah, true, not draft packs. It is, it's going to be set uh, boosters. And they got me. I'm going to buy some set boosters to try to open me up Optimus Prime or something. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I think they're all good casual level commander power. I don't think any of them are going to be busted in any format. I don't, I don't know if they'll be CDH level or even close to that. But, they look uh, a lot less powerful than the Warhammer cards. Absolutely. But they do look fun. They look like, oh, yeah, they fun. look fun. Um, so I'm excited. I'm kind of almost sad they're not in the draft packs, but I'm not. Get it. Uh, believe it or not, I actually think the cards are pretty cool. Uh, I just don't like the theme, and I don't like it mixed with my magic. That's fair. We do have very different opinions on that. Um, 
yeah, I'm excited to see what Rust the Set has to bring. And uh, Josh, where can people find you? Uh... Well, I live in a hole in the ground in northern Michigan, so you can find me at uh, War Games North. But since I don't use any social media, that's about it. So yeah, once again, you can find Josh at War Games North uh, here in Cadillac, Michigan. They have a TCG store. Have you guys listed anything cool? Has Jeff busted out anything out of the back to put online lately that you want to talk about? Or pretty much same old, same old? Oh, it's mostly the same old, same old. We have a massive, massive collection of cards on there. Uh, Alpha all the way through current. Um, He's got Lion's Eye Diamonds. And uh, we've got a whole lot of beta uh, listed. I just recently listed about 2,000 beta cards. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, out of the blue, though. going through old cards is fun. I love stopping by the shop when Josh is working and seeing a pile of cards and being like, can I look at those? And just shuffling through. Um, so definitely check them out. You can find me at on Twitter at, at PlayToYourOuts, uh, all one word. Um, you can also, I made an email for the podcast. You can tell us how stupid and wrong we are. It is T-O-F-A podcast at gmail.com. My goal is this weekend, by this weekend, to make us a Twitter account so we can get on there. And yeah, that's all I got this week. Josh, I will talk to you next time, buddy. For the rest of you guys, have a good one, and we will talk to you soon.